My second interview with Lord Grunge, where we pick up where we left off in the last interview. I broke this up in a few different sections. We recorded it outside because it was such a nice day in Pittsburgh, but there was so much crazy noise that a few a few things had to just uh, get left on the cutting room floor. But it was a great interview. And I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get into it, I got a few quick announcements to make. My new EP, Unending Blaze Volume 1, is going to be coming out on January 1st. That's also going to be the kickoff day for a coast-to-coast tour that I'm doing with Gavin Riley's Smoke Machine. The kickoff show is going to be with Dar Sombra, Hemlock Ernst, Eulogy, and Secret Weapon Dave at the Crown in Baltimore. It's going to be an awesome way to kick in this 2016, if I dare say so myself. The artwork, as always, is by Mike Riley. He went pretty wild this week, and I love it. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And as always, we're being hosted by Splice Today. That's SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. Wait, 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 wait. Part one, we pick up where we left off around 2004, and I ask about Dicer, the unheard funk tracks, which is Grand Buffet's B-Sides compilation, which I'm... A big fan of. 2004 was when we dropped the boy, and it was just kind of amidst. There's that period, like after we put out, basically from 2003 to 2008, where we didn't really put out any new shit. Yeah. Uh, just primarily because we were just touring so much. I mean, that's not an excuse, but like that, that's just how it was going down. That we yeah. were just like on the road all the goddamn time. But I mean, at that, at that time in the game, you know, this, most of how we were paying rent was from this merch on tour. So it was like crucial to have shit to sell. And cats definitely were buying these CDs more at that time than they are now, as you know. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like, you know, we weren't really, we weren't coming with a new album, but we were still touring. I want to say that. I don't rem- I don't know we didn't book a tour specifically for that but we just had like hella tours popping constantly and also in the liner notes in Sparkle Classic I had kind of like prophesized oh yeah a thing called Dicer would come out in 2004 and it was kind of like well I'm trying to be about stuff not just talk about it so, right um yeah but that I mean that was pretty much it and it was a lot of tracks that a couple tracks from that album that we never put out album called Peter Weller which we yeah. were going to drop in 1999 which just as it was kind of like the f- the fail that Scrooge McRock was 
Whereas, like, we just we ended up putting out a bunch of songs that we didn't really like that much. <laughs> right, right. Um, kind of subverted that with this Peter Weller. It was just like, well, we're, we're just not going to put it out. So, like, uh, some of the tight tracks from that went on Dicer. Yeah. And then um, just a bunch of other fun shit that we had sitting around. And I've been wanting to put out another one for, like... I guess when did that come out? 2004. So I've been wanting to do another Dicer since 2005. Mm. And it just hasn't happened. It's, it's got to go down. It it does got to go down. You feel like you got the I, material. I, I could put out like five of them. Oh I man, have so much shit. Let's yeah, go. but I don't know. I don't know that. I'd want it to be tight though. Yeah, you know. Well, I I thought that was interesting. Like when I first met you guys, you were breaking down how. That Peter Weller fail was like kind of, kind of like devastating at the time. Like, like to be like, wow, we're really doing this band. We're like taking it real seriously and getting it together to do this real album. And then it's like enough obstacles that you just stop, kind of. Stop with that album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it was just it was just like and and I still do this to this day. It's like pretty much before I release anything, I listen to it hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. Cause I feel like if it's not I think you'll know. Like if it's if you listen to something a hundred times and and it's still like it still comes off as tight to you, yeah. that, that's when it's good to go. I mean, I feel like that's a good rule of thumb. I mean there's exceptions to that, but like and that it was like this this summer in '99, um, you know, and this was before things had really like we weren't touring per se. We were traveling a little bit, swapping shows, but nothing had really like popped. Yeah. Um, I was actually working for this uh, Manny, this Manny Tyner. Yes. Working at this Millville Industrial Theater. And I was li- like, the album was, it was probably like 80% complete. And I was listening to it all the time. And it was just like, this just isn't, this is not popping. Mm. And, you know, and then it was like a year, a year later, pretty much, when we had this Scrooge McRock, or not Jesus Christ, <laughs> Sparkle Classic. <laughs> yeah. Scrooge, I've been doing this uh, kind of this ongoing thing. Do you know uh, Dave Ferris, uh, DXF, the writer? I don't know if I do. I feel like you must have met him at some point. You absolutely did, but uh, but we, he and I, have been working on this kind of. I don't know what it's actually going to end up being. It was supposed to be the liner notes for the Sparkle Classic reissue. Oh, cool! But that didn't happen. Oh, so, but we've been working, doing this really in depth, like for the past, I don't know, three months, kind of interview, um, about specifically about Sparkle Classic oh, and awesome. stuff. But it's like, homeboy loves Scrooge McRock. That's like his shit. And he doesn't understand why, why we can't fuck with it. So I've, I've, we've been discussing it, like, in depth. You're trying to convince him to not feel it. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, so that's just kind of been on my brain. But, um, yeah, I feel like that, that was one of the first, like, really sound decisions we made as a group was to be like, let's not put this shit out. Yeah. And it's, it, it's not that it was, like, crap. It just wasn't, like, you know, it, it didn't. We had already put something out that didn't really cut, that didn't really, like, pass the test. Right. And, like, that was, like, a really shitty feeling. Right, so right. So it was just kind of like, let's not do that again. Fuck it. And did you feel like Dicer, like, did you feel like it found some heads that were, that were down? I kind of feel like it, 
for like for a very few i mean we we sold a thousand copies of it relatively easily which like you know in this diy oh yeah scene is is something um i mean it doesn't sound like shit compared to a lot of standards but um but i found like a very select few either like hardcore fans or just like more like homies colleagues yeah were really really into it yeah um and it's funny like one of the i don't know like that it's jumping ahead like six years um you know we linked up with third eye blind that that's a very long story but it's like one of the like some i don't know how because we didn't have any more copies of the damn thing but they had like brad the drummer we played with his other band and somehow we slipped him a copy of dicer which is it's really (laughs) wild because it was like you know five years after we put the fucker out yeah it's not like we're like you have to check this out this is our like dopest this is like somehow we gave him one (laughs) and like apparently that was that particular john had a lot to do with like Stephen Jenkins becoming like That's a awesome. GB head and stuff, yeah. which is kind of which is kind of wild. One thing I just thought it would be tight to address real quick is the artwork. If you like, oh, I feel yeah. like you've never broken down like how that came to be. I guess I haven't on the on the record, but uh, yeah, that um, you know, uh, self releasing music, specifically CDs over the years, and th- this still exists today. But like you know, these manufacturing houses like a whole kind of like sub industry is their like in-house art production team. And I was always kind of like, not, not trying to be like snooty, but I kind of felt like you could always tell, like if you bought like, I don't like to use the term local band, but like, I don't know. Like if you bought like an independent, a self-released CD off a band, you could always tell when they like paid the, the CD manufacturer to do the artwork because like, it looked professional, but it still looked like shit. Right, right. You know, and um, and that was kind of yeah. I just I kind of remember like Jackson not really fucking with Dicer at all. Like he he okayed it. Like I did. There was there was nothing on there that he didn't say. Like yeah, that's okay. But it was largely my project, and I was just like fuck it. I want to pay the I want to pay the manufacturing house to to do the artwork. Yeah. And the only, the only, sh- I sent him all the, sent the artist guy all the text, and I just sent him those three photographs. It was like one of me from when I was like fourteen. It was like I don't remember the one of Jackson like mugging, and then one of our boy Fat Ross, and like that was all we sent him. Right, right. And I was actually super psyched at the <laughs> yeah, way, it, like yeah. the, the cover is like, you know, that that was like one of those. Um, I don't know how that works, but it's one of those like copyright free right, right. things where it's like like you won't see it anywhere else. Like it's only gonna be on the cover of Dicer, but like, you know, he I don't know how that whole world works. It's kinda yeah. weird, but um and I remember like like the dude was really cool, the dude at the manufacturing house, and I remember him being like I, I kinda feel like the the irony was completely lost on him, which was cool. Yeah. Cause it, cause if it hadn't been, I don't think it would have been tight. But he, right. He said, I I wish I could go back and find the email. I probably still have it somewhere, but he was just like something like explaining like, you know, I listened to the album a lot. Like what I was hearing was like, no bullshit funk with a touch of Eminem or something (laughs) like that. And and he's like, so this is what I did. And I just immediately was just like, it's, you know, it's fucking perfect. Yeah. Like you hit it out of the fucking park. (laughs) 
like no no bullshit funk with a touch and I kind of made me think like he didn't listen to the shit at all right <laughs> he just read the title and it was like the unheard funk tracks which was kind of an ironic fucking yeah. non sequitur of a title and I kind of feel like he maybe skimmed it and her it's like oh there's a little rap on there yeah like, oh, we're gonna go no no bullshit funk with a touch of Eminem and that's gonna <laughs> see if, if that satisfies these dickheads and it did like 2004 we spent a lot of time in western europe like we just we were t we toured there a lot that year and we were playing like a lot of these like you know squats and like yeah. little hole in the wall bars and just like these real grimy <clears throat> scenes i remember like there was this crew i think they were called 88 coma flush and they were these austrian uh Yo's like these MCs and, and like they were good. I mean they rap mostly in German So I, I can't really attest to if the lyrics were dope, but they were cool Like they had a good thing going on and like we had played with them once before and then we were back playing with them Playing with them again I, and I remembered like while we were on tour. I was like I guess assembling Dicer like I was communicating with the With the manufacturing house and I remember getting the proofs emailed to me Well, we're like we were at this squat in Austria yeah. just like hanging out with these dudes and I remember being like dudes like like check this out like this the artwork for the new album and these guys were just like hey, you are insane <laughs> like is that really the artwork like is this a joke <laughs> like <laughs> and I was like no that's it and it's like oh that's it, it, it looks horrible like, that's not a good German accent at all but like yeah. uh, you know it was it was it was pretty tight <laughs> Mission accomplished. That's right. That's right. But all, at the end of the day, I actually I don't think it looks that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, yeah. Kinda, it, does, it looks kind of tight. Part two, we talk about some of the burnout and frustration with touring and the music business that he alluded to in the first podcast. You said there was this period where it was almost like impossible to like keep making music i mean that that's how it felt at the time i mean hindsight's mm. always 2020 and it's yeah. like you know we we definitely could have perhaps should have you know more aggressively made a point to like because it's not like we didn't work on shit you know I, both of us in our downtime would record stuff and like would you know would work on music but as you well know it's like there, there's there's a world of different difference or not difference isn't the right word. There's a huge like birth between just recording some shit and dicking around and then actually getting it to, to the level where you release it. Yeah. And just making that leap for whatever reason was just like really, really difficult. Um, it's weird. I definitely feel like 2005 was kind of the, and it's so insane. It was fucking 10 years ago, but 2005, I, I think there's like some some burnout started to happen, mm. um, just from touring so fucking much. And I, I don't ever want to be one of those dudes who like pisses and moans about how hard touring is, because touring's awesome, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and it's not, yeah, it falls in some people's lap, but like, you know, I think you're one of very few cats in this game, you know, who really understands how difficult it is to set off a tour when like. When you really haven't been handed anything yeah you know yeah. you don't have a record deal you don't have a budget and you just you literally go
go out and shake trees and string together a tour. Like it's it's not easy to do it. It is you know, and it rules to be able to do it. But I don't know. I want to say we did something like 140 shows in 2005, and like, I don't know something like that. And which yeah, you can say like, well, it's only one show every two days. You fucking pussy. But like, uh, every other day is just getting ready for something. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. we I, I, gone for seven months out of the year and. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it, it certainly felt, you know, and there, there was kind of, I don't know how much we built about like the, like the fighting records years. I Not kinda, at all. That's, that's yeah. where we kind of wound down yeah. last time. Um, but you know, that was 2003, four, Dicer, touring and touring and touring and then the, these fighting records cats who were, who were good friends of ours who started a label in Florida and like you know we had always kind of probably shot ourselves a foot but basically told labels to suck our dicks and stuff and we're like we're very rude to like A&R men who fucking inquired and stuff like that and I don't know man it was never being a dick for the sake of being a dick would I do it differently I don't know probably not but like like do you feel like you know because we talked about all these Labels like trying to pop something off with like epitaph and all that. Yeah, like, but you felt like there was other situations where people hollered and you were like, "We we." Fucking. I'm trying to think like I, the the mythology, you know, or the the lore is cooler versus like yeah, like we you know fuck the world. I mean, we we may I think we actually turned down one record deal from mm. a company called Olio, and it, I mean it was not it was not a good deal it was not a lot of money right but you know we said no thank you and then we got a, around 2002 2003 was like we got a lot of inquiries from like a lot of labels no i, th- I want to say the only company that ever actually put like paper put contract on the table was olio and we turned them down but we got a lot of inquiries inquiries from other labels and we just were kind of like like yeah like we can talk on the phone but like but fuck off basically yeah you know what i yeah. mean and I don't know. In my mind, it was kind of like, this is how we'll separate the fucking, you know, we'll separate the cream of the crop from the rest. It's like the label that that listens to us tell them to go fuck themselves and still wants to come with a deal. That's the label we want to go with. And that kind of ended up being fighting records. Yeah. You know, it was like our big thing was just like artistic control. Like we don't, you know, 100% artistic control. And, uh, they were cool with that. I mean, and that was... Ba- and yeah, like, the, we worked with those dudes, like, the two guys running the show, Moore Kravinsky, who to this day I consider, like, one of my best homies. Yeah. And John Youngman. I mean, they were very successful promoters in Central Florida. Right. You know, and Grand Buffet always did really well down there, largely because of Moore. Um, but it, since we had, we had a really good working relationship with those dudes as us as a touring band and them as promoters. And it was kind of like, well, then it's just going to be fire for them to become a label. And, you know, right. yeah, it didn't work out as well as everyone had hoped. But uh, Well, what happened? I'm not entirely sure, man. It was kind of like that, that, that became another. I know I'm kind of talking all over the place, but so 2004 was a heavy touring year as well we put out dicer and i kind of i kind of felt like you know jackson was there was like kind of a little wedge driven because i just wanted to stay on the road mm. he really wanted to come with the, the new songs and like 
Fighting Records is like, we'll put out whatever you want. You know, we'll put. You guys want to give us a new album? We'll do a new album. I thought it would be a really good idea to come with kind of a, because we'd never had really any substantial distribution of anything, and that was what we thought was going to happen. Was for the first time, like bona fide retail presence, like yeah. nationwide. Um, that's why I thought it'd be awesome to put out a bunch of stuff from all our self-released shit, which ended up being five years of fireworks. And, uh, and it just, you know, and I've never run a record label beyond pressing CDs and basically selling them out of my trunk. Yeah. I've never really attempted to do the whole, like all the other shit that's involved with it, you know, and those dudes did, and they had some kind of distribution deal. And I, you know, and I'm not talking smack, like there's on my end, there's zero, like animosity like yeah. I said Moore is still a super tight homie I'm still cool with the rest of the cats from fighting like at the time things might have been a little tense between us but uh you know the, like the distribution ended up being really shitty yes, and uh snap streets of the burger wild right now can't see it <laughs> let it ride but I mean, the short version of what happened was we, we put out five years of fireworks. Basically, we had been touring for, for four, four years of those five years of fireworks, touring on these songs, and then we put out a few of those songs and toured on them again for three years. And it was just... It, and I remember building with you at the time and you kind of saying, like, but like, you're still you're making a living touring. Isn't that awesome? And me kind of being like, well, yeah, but it, it still sucks. <laughs> and I don't know, man. Um, I think in, in retrospect, I mean, at the end of the day, no regrets. Fuck it. Yeah. And Labrador. But in retrospect, I really feel like the look would have been to have taken a year or two off of the road mm. and gone in on, um, gone in on <clears throat> new material. But, you know, what happened was... We just stayed touring constantly because it was how we paid our bills. Yeah. And it was kind of like being chained to this. It's like this awesome thing. Like, this is all I ever wanted to do as an adult was make a living doing doing my band. And it's like we're doing it, but like feeling chained to it. Because if we stop doing it, specifically the touring, like if we stop yeah. touring, we can't fucking pay rent and shit. And I kind of think, and that just sort of coincides, you know, I think to answer your question about the fighting records thing, we had really hoped that, well, this is going to be, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing, but now we're going to have resources behind us. Yeah. And it just didn't really play out like that. Like, there was very little money. I mean, and those dudes were were trying, you know what I mean? It's not like, those dudes were were not out to fuck us over. They were in our corner and like... You know, um, and 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 vice versa. Like we we weren't intentionally being like snotty nosed fucking prima donnas. Yeah. Just like little little things we'd hoped would happen didn't happen. And like, you know, they I don't know they they would get these ideas and we'd be like, no, those ideas suck. And like, it just little yeah. little shit just kind of. But it's I don't know. It's not like we were sticks in the mud because I mean the label basically imploded like a year after. Right. Right. We put out our third album with them, so. I don't know if it was entirely on us, but it was a noble attempt. I think yeah. it was a noble attempt at, a, attempt at a label, like good-hearted, well-intentioned dudes. Um, you know, and I think it was a noble attempt on our part to try to like 
to try to be a band on a label as opposed to just being like these two lunatics who oh, yeah. don't give a fuck about anything and are just yeah. putting out their own shit and you know coming through your town and it's, pillaging it sounds like a I mean I, I can definitely relate like but it sounds like a crazy situation because it's like you're saying you wanted to stop touring to like you know get some more music done but you've sort of made it doing you've made the touring thing work and then it's like what do you do it's like now i gotta think about like getting a job at a gas station or something exactly yeah i mean that's exactly how it went down and like i mean and there's there's zero shame in a day job yeah i'm balls deep in a day job as we speak yeah it's like there's nothing wrong with that but at, at the time it was kind of a daunting prospect it's like right. better part of a decade this has been our only job yeah and it's so much work to figure out how to make it your only job exactly yeah. exactly and then to be like well shit let's take time off and like i'll go i'll go work at the sunoco up the street and like jackson yeah. you can like you can go back to painting houses it's you know it's just kind of it was like kind of Shocking, or like, ah, nah, I'll stick with daunting. It yeah, was, it was yeah. just like, it's like, oh, fuck, would really suck to have to do that. But I mean, you know, in retrospect, that probably, I'm just saying, as far as longevity of the band, not that we're not still a band, because technically right. we are, but I mean, that that would have been the been the better look, you know, yeah. instead of just staying on the road. And you, you were actually, you were on the road with us at many different intervals during yeah. this time. Definitely. So, I mean, I don't know. One day, I'm going to have to flip the script and interview you and just get your perspective on, yeah. on all the, the bullshit that you witnessed. <laughs> I loved it all. Cool. Part three, we're talking about their five years of fireworks release, which was their best of, and then their full-length album, King Vision, that came out a few years later. Yeah, I mean, the five years of fireworks thing, I don't know, man. I just, I, like... It seemed like all the planets were aligning. Like, I, I convinced the label to drop, like, large money on this mastering dude who I really wanted. And they did it. And, like, and I do love the way that shit, that album sounds. Like, I, it just, um, you know. But then, then when the thing sold wood, then that became a point of contention. Right. And it was like, well, we dropped five grand to get it mastered the way you wanted. And, like thing barely sold a thousand copies yeah so it's like then king vision came around it was like like no sorry we're not going to pay five thousand dollars to have it mastered right right right. we're gonna give you this budget dickhead who is gonna fucking (laughs) make it sound like shit um but another thing that happened was like we had actually uh kind of we had secured a small a very small uh distro in western europe like on our own independently from the label and they were like super psyched we told them we were doing this deal with fighting records and the 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 guys in holland were like super pumped and then we were like yeah we're putting out like a compilation of all our self-released shit and it was just like silence and just Mm. like no like we can't do that Mm. like they just weren't fucking with it yeah because they they had already distroed our self-released shit and like the little the little cult following that we had in Western Europe had been established largely on on these dudes, this little distro house in Holland, and 
it, they were just like, no, like that's like we don't we don't that's not gonna work. Like trust oh, us, that's shit. not gonna work. Yeah. So then and then by the time King, King Vision dropped, it was like three years later, and I kind of feel like I don't I don't even remember. I feel like just emails maybe didn't get didn't get answered or something. Mm. So like that bridge kind of accidentally got burned. Yeah. Um. Little shit like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I we also had a kind of volatile relationship with a booking agent. He never got along with the label guys. It, just a bunch of little bullshit, yeah. you know, happened that kind of, kind of made the whole well-oiled like hardcore DIY machine that was Grand Buffet just kind of get like a little, mm. a little fucked up. How do you look back on that that album on King Vision? King Vision, I think, is our. I think from a like from a songwriting perspective, I think it's the best shit we ever put out. Yeah. Production wise, there are there are just a couple moments throughout it that kind of drive me nuts. It's like oh, if I, like if I could go back and just tweak a few things, I feel like it would be kind of our masterpiece. Yeah. As it stands, I think it's a good album. Um, but you know that was another kind of wild thing that happened was it's like, you know, we put out this album. It was the first full length we had put out in years. Um, it was a big fucking deal. And then, like, a lot of Grand Buffet fans were not feeling it at all, you know? And we never had that many fans to begin with. So it's like when the, our new album drops and it kind of inadvertently, like, alienates right. <clears throat> a considerable percentage of an already not big group right. of fans. <laughs> right. Um, and, I mean, and that's something would I have done differently? Absolutely not. Because, like, yeah. fuck those clowns. You know, they can yes. suck my dick while I take a shit all day, as Ice-T would say. Yeah. But it's, it is something that happened. Right. And I remember getting fucking, back when emails were still, were still the thing, um, getting emails from fans being like, like, I bought this album because your music reminded me of good times and you guys were fun. Like now you're putting out this sad bastard bullshit. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. I remember one, like I got a, it's not like I got thousands of emails, but like, you know, a handful. Yeah. I remember a dude being like, like, let me know if you're coming through town and you're going to play the old stuff. <laughs> it's like, as if I was actually going to hit this dude up yeah. and be like, bro, I got your email. I mean, then again, I am talking about it six years <laughs> later, so I guess he wins. Yeah. But you know, that, that was another thing that kind of happened. Um, and uh yeah i mean it's it's not like everything ground to a halt but it was just like it was like jesus christ like we've been you know grinding so fucking hard so much time on the road and it's like shit with the label isn't popping that well you know it just it was like a little the little bit of burnout that kind of started in 2005 which i think had specifically to do with spending too much time touring yeah you know it's like that little bit of burnout just kind of continued for like the next kind of like for the next five years yeah and kind of festered yeah and then it, as well as just spending too much time on the road then there was all this other added bullshit like drama with the agent drama with the label you know drama with the fucking dutch people you know it's just yeah. like and all those things kind of kind of took their toll and then I mean, there was 2006 and seven. I almost want to call it like the of Montreal era because that was like uh, those cats kind of 
it wasn't like a take us under our wing, take take us under their wing thing because I mean we were like a pretty established act, but like they they were actively blowing the fuck up at yeah. that time, and they were kind of like you guys are gonna be our like our like like we were sort of like a few years earlier we were kind of like we were to Sage Francis what like Twisted was to ICP yes. and then of Montreal is kind of like well like now you're gonna be like Twisted to ICP yeah. for of Montreal yeah yeah um. So we did like a ton of shows with those guys in those two years. I mean, and it was awesome. Like yeah. they, 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 I love those fucking dudes. I mean, I know they're like kind of, they're a different band now, but, uh, you know, they really hooked us the fuck up with yeah. like a lot, a lot of great shows. And, and those were good. Th- those were great fucking shows. Again, I believe you were on board for a big yeah. chunk of that yourself. But I mean, that was kind of that time where it was just like, it's like this is such a fucking awesome opportunity, but like we're kind of not psyched. Like we kind of want to kill each other and just like mm. are broke and you know. Boo hoo hoo. Well, I think it's weird. Like thinking back to that time, because you know, did you ever watch the the of Montreal documentary? No, I want to see it. I just I don't have Netflix and. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's my that's my I'm not gonna say it's an excuse, it's my reason why I that's haven't seen the, it yet. But like you know, I guess I didn't realize at the time when they started putting you guys on shows was like as soon as they were like becoming this massive band. Yeah. Like I, I guess I I knew they'd been a band for a long time. I thought they'd kinda always been like that, you know? But the, like like we were there during the time where they were like like the exploding the quickening yeah yeah yeah. totally totally i mean and that was like you know which was fucking awesome because it's like they didn't you know i mean yeah we did have fans at that time and a handful of them came to those shows that we did with them but it's like they could have put they could have just put a giant bucket of feces on stage as an opening <laughs> act, and like it wouldn't have had any effect. You know, yeah, they yeah. just would have had to pay it less, right? You right. know, so I mean, it was super duper cool of those dudes yeah. to like to put us on the way they did. Um, but it's like that in and of itself. You know, our fucking booking agent, Mr. Eric Carter. I mean, it just like he. I mean, I, he and I butted heads a lot, and I don't know if we ended our relationship on the best of terms but like he he was an ardent grandma face supporter you know and ultimately he was why we got to tour of montreal Mm -hmm. he booked them as well and he kind of made the connection um same thing with magnolia electrico it's like these two amazing bands got turned on to us because we shared the same booking agent yeah so it's not I, i gotta give the guy props but i but i remember with him it was like so many conversations where it's just like like okay like you guys are this incredible fucking live act you're on tour with the hottest indie band in the world and still no one gives a fuck about you it's just kind of like like yeah dude that's how it's going down right like fuck yeah (laughs) yeah and it like that just kind of became like i know he was frustrated because it was like you know that's that's just largely the way it was. It was right. like we, we hit kind of a ceiling with like uh, I don't know fans. I guess it just couldn't couldn't seem to to punch through it. Like despite all these you know pretty badass opportunities and stuff. But yeah, and it just kind of led to led to a lot of tension. Part four. These Pittsburgh dogs get a little wild, but we let it ride and keep it moving. I don't even want to say it was that GB was winding down 
I kind of feel like from... <laughs> You're getting the... Listeners are getting a treat. You're getting the sounds of the fucking bird. We've already had PD here investigating some shit. We got dogs going buck wild, and we got the mailman, <laughs> who you guys are going to get to meet shortly. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's a bit much, but Pittsburgh is, is no joke. Um, what was I saying? I mean... I don't want to sound like negative or like, you know, cynical or, or boohoo or anything like that, but it wasn't so much that we were winding down, like, because there was, there was still momentum. Yeah. It was more like we were just kind of, I mean, we were really at odds with each other, you know, about a lot of shit, you know, and a lot, a lot of it in retrospect, it's like, yeah, that was bullshit. Like, mm. and some of it's like, no, like that, that was a real problem, you know, and I, I don't, I don't want to delve too deeply no. into all that because yeah. fuck it, but, you know, it was sort of, it was like, the momentum we had we had sparked years before it's like was still going but it's like it, it was kind of it was kind of dragging us along if right that, if that makes sense yeah. you know like it's like the our rocket packs fucking ran out of juice and just the the i don't know centrifugal force was still yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. yanking us along but how are you sir that's what i like to hear thanks, thanks boss. have a good day you too brother um, yeah, I mean, I, I, in my mind, the winding down didn't really happen until a couple years later. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but it, it definitely, you know, there was a lot of, there was just a lot of tension. I mean, and, and I, I, I mean, Jax and I are both very eccentric individuals, very opinionated, you know, and it, I defy any two people, no matter how fucking cool or smart or whatever they are, to, like, spend seven months together in a fucking sedan and not, not have some yeah. issues. So, I mean, some of it was definitely just the, the context. You know? Right, right. But, um, yeah, I kind of, yeah, it's like sort of like the groundwork we had, we had put down was at that point just kind of pulling us. Yeah. You know, and we it's just like, ah, we should, we should do different shit. We should try a different approach. But, you know, again, it's the whole, like, if we stop doing this, we don't have an income. Kind of yeah. Thing. That, that was the thing. Like, I remember Gabri would be like what are grunge and jackson doing right now and i'd be like well i think they're they're still they're still like doing grand buffet they got this like huge tour with like girl talk and like this and, like it was like all this shit was happening but you guys were just projecting this idea that it was like like about to be over or something yeah yeah and you know and that kind of is a bummer man just because but it was like you know the whole thing it was like, you know, we, we toured the Montreal as they, literally as they, like, blew the fuck up. Yeah. And on that tour, MGMT warmed up for us. That's right. And then it was, like, a year later, MGMT is, like, one of the biggest bands on the fucking planet. Yeah. And then it's, like, our homie Girl Talk, who, you know, had been, used to open for us for $50, was now, like, was a fucking cultural phenomenon and it, it wasn't it was never like some sour grape shit it's I, like I liked uh, I, all the all the aforementioned cats are awesome yeah you know it's not like some band we thought was fucking bogus who we pretended to get along with blew the fuck right. it wasn't like that it's like these cats were awesome that's why we were down with them in the first place because they right. were fucking awesome but it was kind of like and, and Eric Carter just like like girl talk got album of the summer on pitchfork and you guys can't sell shit like what the fuck you know it's just like oh man yeah it's like it's like so many people we like ran with just like 
tremendous fucking success and then it's just yeah. like it's like Jesus Christ like my discover card is like yeah. it's through the roof and I'm fucking yeah I mean the, the shark tank to answer your question to go back to the, how shark tank kind of, I mean that that wasn't that wasn't so much it's like oh things are real fucked up with GB it was more just yeah. like I would like to tackle a different project yeah I mean, side project yeah you know it'd be cool to have like you and I had kind of fucked around with other side projects over the years but um I don't know that one, and it, it was a long time coming because I feel like we first got together and started ma- like tracking in 2008. Yeah, and it wasn't until three years later that we actually dropped an album. Yeah, um, but I mean that was pretty much it, and I remember kind of, and this this I mean this is no this is no fucking disrespect to Jackson at all, but I kind of remember you being like, so it's gonna be like you, me, Mickey, Jackson, and someone else, and I'm like. It's going to be like you, me, Mickey, and someone else. <laughs> and you were kind of like, oh, okay, that's what's up. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> and we did record some stuff. I feel like we recorded some stuff with Jackson, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's not, it's not like Jackson was, like, fucking glum. You know what I mean? It's like he was doing his thing. Oh, it's yeah. Not, it's not like it was... It was not any kind of fuck you. It wasn't like I need to... Get in the booth with grunge. Exactly, that was the la- the last fucking thing yeah. he wanted. Um, but you know, and it was I, the, the Shark Tank tale. I mean, I I know B, I feel like B Rich broke it down pretty thoroughly yeah. when he was on your show. But I mean, it was kind of like you know, you and Mickey and I had been boys for a while, had done a bunch of shows, recorded stuff together, and it's kind of like like this this would be a tight group like these three guys, but it would be really cool to have someone else in the mix. And you were like, and. It, yeah, I think you kind of brought it to the table. Like, what about what about Brendan? Yeah, and I was just like, holy shit, because I think you and I both had the same, or roughly this. He had given us, I think, at different times, a CDR of his solo shit. Yeah, I mean, and you actually kind of were like, how about Brandon? I was just yeah. like, shit, yeah. And it was, I, th- I want to say like it was kind of like we dropped him an email and we're like, we're basically like, like yeah, like you're in this new group now, like, <laughs> right. if you're cool with it. And he's kind of like. Okay, bud. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, that that was a magical, that first Shark Tank album, that was some magical shit, because it's like, when by the time the four of us, I feel like it was like a, two years later, when the, or a year and a half later, when the four of us were actually in the studio together, yeah. it's kind of like, well, this is the shit test. Yeah. And it's like, the, you, Mickey, and I had kind of finished a lot of the songs, and there were just these little gaps for where Brendan needed to drop his rhymes right, it was kind right. of, and I remember kind of talking about it before he got to town just like like this could actually go horribly yeah like this could be really bad and it was just like no like he killed every verse yeah like everything just fucking just happened like magically and you know that that was definitely pretty badass and you know yet again the Midas touch now he's a fucking Canadian celebrity let's go <laughs> part five we end things by talking about his two recent solo albums and also his new job as an EMT. I had started dicking around with... I, like, Jackson and I would both do the occasional solo show. Yeah. But it was always kind of more like a for shits and giggles kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I had, you know, written... I would started working on tons and tons of... Uh, shit during that time when we were touring a lot and like i said we would both 
kind of separately, not not together, but when GB had downtime, like we'd both dick around and record stuff and come with ideas. So I had a lot of these songs written and like pieces of them recorded. And uh, with my first John, with this, the Tresser. And, you know, it's just like, uh, like nothing's really popping band wise. Like I just, I need to drop this out. Yeah. Like I had been, I had been, and it's funny because the album's only eight, 18 minutes long, but I had been fucking around with that album for seven years. Yeah. And it was just like, this is getting to be retarded. Mm. You know, so I just kind of buckled down and banged it out. And um, Duck Pepper was a little different. Duck Pepper was, I had always wanted to do a project like this where I just gave myself a hard deadline. And it was like, I'm going to have an album finished by this deadline. And there's nothing started. Nothing started. And I came with the artwork and the song titles first. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And just kind of like, and was like, I mean, it was cool. Like I'd, I, and I, I do, I do much better with deadlines. I mean, that's like, yeah. I procrastinate, but I still, you know, I think, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of musicians, artists, and shit, kind of suffer from that. Way. So many ideas, like a fountain of ideas, but you know, you don't actually contain them, contain them, and do something with them. And yeah. That, and I, you know, that was, I mean, that was only last year. It's not like, it feels like it was a long fucking time ago, but it was last year. And it was kind of like, you know, I need to drop another album. And yeah, that was how I went at it. And I was, I was pretty stoked with the results. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, the, the solo shit is not, you know, it's just not catching any fucking fire. Which is fine. I mean, it's not. You know, I'm I'm at a spot now where it's very important to me that I keep keep doing shit, and I will. I absolutely will. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, I I can't stress whether or not something's gonna pop. Like I just can't anymore. I stressed that for so many years. Yeah. With mixed results, you know. Right. There right. are little successes and little failures and all that shit. It's like I just I kind of can't even think about it right now. It's just like need to keep putting shit out, need to keep doing stuff, but fuck the, fuck the results. Yeah. Much. Fuck the outcome. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of, with, with both those albums, that was kind of the approach. Um, and, I mean, I would someday like to maybe, I mean, I've been, that's another thing I've been dicking around with for nine years now is like my label. I'm doing the quotes, the finger quotes, yeah. listeners, my label. Um, put out Winterize the Game in 2006. Let's go. Very stoked to have done it. Um, it's a great fucking album. You know, and I, I don't know. I just I didn't have the, uh, the funds, didn't have the means to set up a label proper. Yeah. But, uh, that, but that is something I'd like to do someday. You know? Yeah. And it's yeah. like... Uh, I guess, I don't know, I'm kind of, I don't want to say if, I want to say when I establish that, you know, it's kind of tight because I can be like, you know, putting out music since 2006. Yeah. Even though like, <laughs> kind it's kind of not true. <laughs> it's like I put out an album in 2006 and it fucking tanked. And then I <laughs> put out another one in 2011, tanked. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's crazy though, man. And I think, again, I think, you know, you and I have 
similar perspectives. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just like, you know, when you've been in, when you've been in this hustle for so long without, without the money really coming in and without, yeah. without the other commodities, I don't know, notoriety, fame, whatever, like without that shit really truly coming into play, it, it, it for me, you know, it becomes a different thing where it's just like, I kind of feel like it really tests your metal. Yeah. You know, it's like, like from day one, you know, you said you've been about doing this at all costs, but that was when you were younger and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, now, you know, rapidly approaching like middle-aged man status. Right. It's like, well, are you really about it? Because now you'll be tested. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I, I think is, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of a cool, for me, it's a cool way to look with it. Oh, I think they'll look too. at it. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just how I cope. I don't know. But no, no. I, I mean, I don't know. I think about how, like, with this visual art, it's like you kind of like aren't even taken seriously till you're like our age. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like I think it, that kind of makes more sense in a way, <laughs> just because it's like, like. Okay, if he's been getting ready for this long, then it's probably he's kind of serious, right? You know what I mean, right? But I don't know. You know, that's a, that's another thing that, like, and you know, I'll be very surprised if this if this segment actually makes it to the podcast. But another another factor about like being a white dude in rap. <laughs> You know, another component is, like, you're not going to age that well. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, Willie D still looks 35 tops. You know what I mean? And he looked 35 when he was 18. Right, right. It's like, as a white dude, you don't really have that benefit. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, M's been able to kind of pull it off, but I sort of feel like it's like he's got filters and shit on those cameras and tricks. No diss. No diss, but just, like, you know... I guess Kid Rock kind of kind of pulled it off. Ah, he's I don't know. That's different. He's but, weird. I mean, I definitely feel, and I, I've definitely taken a cue from you and Jackson with this. But it's like I feel less like almost zero of my identity as a musician has to be rapper. You know, yeah. As a, yeah, as yeah. I get older, like totally. I just don't. I don't care, you know, yeah. and I feel like we have some other friends in music that have more taken the path of like, like holding down these MC skills and this MC steez like at all costs. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like for us, it's, I don't know, something that's cool about the obscurity is we can just change it up now and it's all good. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that's very true, man. I mean, yeah. Bottom line, it's like, and and I'm not I'm not coming at it, like I'm not dissing anyone in particular, but it's like you know you meet one meets a lot of people over the years. Like you meet some dude at a bar who just like talks about how he's a writer, and he won't yeah. shut the fuck up about he's a fucking writer. And it's right. like you know maybe that's gonna get him laid, whatever. But like it's like writers write. Writers don't go to the bar and talk about being writers. Yeah. You know, as a rule. Are there exceptions to that rule? Maybe. It's not it's not the dickhead I'm thinking of in my mind. But like 
you know, and I kind of think it's the same thing with like, you know, if you're a musician, you make music. You know, whether or not you do it professionally, whether or not you fuck, blah, blah, that shit's all kind of secondary. Yeah. You know, in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think the key is to just, to stay, to stay on some, just, uh, just to, to create. I mean, that's, yeah. it, not to sound hokey, but like, um, just to create shit is, is what it's about. Yeah. And it, you know, and it doesn't need to be fucking records and it doesn't need to be money, but like, you know, it doesn't need to be anything, but that, you know, the fucking... It is fire to create shit. You know, there's something exists now because of you that didn't exist earlier. Yeah. And that's fire. Yeah. You know, and I, I do think that, um, you know, that that is its own reward to a large extent, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I can't I can't buy a PS4 necessarily or, you know, fix my car, mm. but it's still its own reward. You talked about fixing your car on the last John. Did I? About how you couldn't. Yeah, I still can't. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Damn it! Well, I think this is interesting. I guess it's up to you if you want to build on it, but I think it's interesting that you've gone in on this EMT, John, recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that... Kind of, kind of a long story. The short version is... I needed a a tighter day job, which is which is no diss to my previous day job of you know doing this retail hustle, but I just wanted to tackle something a little more a little more challenging, a little more fulfilling um and it's I've always kind of been like uh I don't know I've always had a lot of respect for cats and emergency medicine, just like I mean going back from the time I was a kid. Like, I never, you know, with the exception of, like, a couple movies, like, this Lethal Weapon and this fucking Above the Law, I never was, like, in awe of cops or, you know, other sort of staple, like, yeah. what do you want to be when you grow up kind of shit. But I've always kind of been in awe of, like, EMS and, like, how these cats, like, it's mind-blowing, you know. And uh, David Lee Roth became, I don't know if he became an EMT or he became a paramedic, but mm. on his downtime a few years ago, he just kind of ar- arbitrarily decided to work in EMS in New York City. Oh, yeah, Which yeah. is so fucking fire. Yeah. You know, so fire. And that, um, these are all kind of little factors of yeah. why I wanted to dig into it. You know, it's also something where, I mean, to become an EMT, it's like you go to school for like one semester and if you don't fuck up, like you're employable. Yeah. And that's pretty gangster to me, just because I'm not, I don't, I'm not a school dude. I never have, and I don't do well in, in a school setting. I go nuts. But that was short enough where, like, I didn't lose my shit. Um, and it, you know, it's also, and it's just, it's such a different world than it's, it's much more of a departure from, from my making a living as a musician. Than any any and I've had a, a decent number of day jobs, but it's it's much more of a departure than any of them. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I mean, and I'm I've only been on the job about four months now, and I'm still kind of you know I still kind of don't know if I if this is something I can really, like if I can really hack it doing it, but I mean I aim to find out. Right. You know, and it's kind of like just to see if I can 
if I can hack it on some sh- doing some shit that is extremely, extremely different from anything I've ever done before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like the leap from the leap from being in a band and touring to, like, working at a bar or, like, working in retail, it's, it's not a big leap. No, no. It, but in my mind, this, this is, like, a pretty monstrous leap. This is a yeah. pretty monstrous departure. I mean, and that in and of itself is a lot of why... <clears throat> why I wanted to do it, you know, and I mean, and not, to, you know, I, I do, I like to help people. I like the concept of helping people and, you know, it is, it is tight to get paid for it. Not paid well, not right. paid well enough to say buy a PS4 or fix your car. Right. But still to get paid for it is fire. Yeah. Um, That's what's up. It should be noted. My man just finished this 24 hour shift. This is true. Wow. This is true. Yeah, it was a pretty wild shift. Uh, no life-threatening calls, but a lot of calls. It, it was, last night was like a feces night. There was like a lot of wild shit happening with feces. <laughs> <laughs> By feces, I mean these turds. I think that's a good place to leave it off. Oh, sound good to me, man. John Blaze. John Blaze. All right, that's it. Thank you once again to Grunge for laying these two episodes down. We'll see you next week.